Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing loving-kindness meditation. So I'm really glad that you're here to learn and study the teachings of Gautama Buddha. It's the very, very best thing that you could ever do for yourself, those close to you, and for all of humanity. Because the more that you dedicate time to training your mind and improving the quality of your mind and your life, the more that you will experience a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, and all the people around you are going to experience the benefits of you learning and practicing the teachings of Gautama Buddha. I have some students in our virtual classroom, and we're going to be studying loving-kindness meditation. I have some details that I'm going to be sharing on the computer screen as a slide, an image, to help me discuss how I practice loving-kindness meditation, and we'll actually do some loving-kindness meditation before the end of our time together today. But before we jump into describing what is loving-kindness meditation and actually doing it, let me explain why we're actually doing loving-kindness meditation. Gautama Buddha discovered the primary problem in the mind is craving. Craving, desire, or attachment, the tendency for the mind to hold on, to grasp, to have this longing and this strong eagerness to hold on to things, craving permanence. But because everything in the world is impermanent, the mind then becomes displeased and it becomes frustrated or angry or irritated, annoyed, lonely, bored, guilt, shame, fears, all of these discontent feelings in the mind are produced because of our own craving, our own desires, our own attachment. The mind is looking to hold on to things permanently. Well, this is the primary problem that Gautama Buddha discovered with the mind, and he shared in the Four Noble Truths. However, there's some other problems that he discovered at a high level that relate to what we call the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion, or we say craving, anger, and ignorance. Now, I've discussed these in a certain degree in other talks that I've done. In a few weeks, we'll be discussing these in much, much more detail. But in order to teach you why we're doing loving-kindness meditation, I would like to just share briefly about this second poison called hatred or anger. Also, we refer to this in the Ten Fetters as ill will. 
this particular poison is the reason why the mind tends to build up walls around us. When we see something that we displease, that's displeasing to the mind, or we experience something displeasing, or we hear something displeasing, anytime the mind is displeased, we tend to build up walls around us. We tend to react with anger or hatred or frustration or irritation. The mind gets annoyed. We have dislikes. All of these lower versions on the spectrum of this poison of hatred or anger, which is represented in the 10 fetters as ill will, it's all coming from the same place, this second poison that Gautama Buddha discovered in the mind. And the remedy to this poison, the remedy to this fetter of ill will is loving kindness, to practice loving kindness. So one of the major, major challenges that we're all facing in the unenlightened state is this first poison of craving or greed. And we use breathing mindfulness meditation to train the mind to let things go. And we practice generosity. This has been covered in previous talks. This second poison of hatred or anger which is represented in the 10 fetters as ill will and manifest in frustration, irritation, annoyance, dislike, hostility, aggression. All of these feelings and these actions all come from the same poison. And what we need to do is we need to cultivate loving kindness in the mind with loving kindness meditation and then through cultivation of loving kindness in the mind through meditation we then practice loving kindness in our daily life throughout our daily life let's describe what loving kindness is loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment so sometimes what happens is we have certain people that we like in the world and we tend to show them care, love, compassion. We tend to make it very easy for ourselves to have good relationships with these people. Gautama Buddha called these people the agreeable. So when people are agreeable to our mind, it's very easy for us to show loving kindness, active goodwill without judgment. It's very easy to have compassion. It's very easy to have open and loving conversations because these people are generally agreeable to us. But it's this poison of hatred or anger or ill will where frustration and irritation and these other feelings of hostility and aggression, when somebody is disagreeable to us, when somebody is disagreeable, when somebody is not pleasing to the mind when somebody literally disagrees with us when they have difference of opinions we tend to react with frustration irritation annoyance hostility aggression and because of that we can't realize the enlightened mind we can't experience nibbana we can't experience this life where we're very loving and kind and compassionate to all beings. So 
Loving kindness is active goodwill without judgment towards all beings, not just the people that are agreeable to us, but also the people that are disagreeable to us and that have a difference of opinion than us. So what loving kindness meditation does is it cultivates in the mind this active goodwill that we can have for all beings. All beings, not just the the agreeable, but also the disagreeable. So here today, I'm going to be teaching you guys loving kindness meditation and explaining to you the way that I've found that works very, very, very well. Gautama Buddha shared in the Pali text, which is the original teachings of the Buddha, he shared that the remedy to ill will, to anger, to hostility is to meditate on loving kindness and cultivate loving kindness in the mind. The collection of the Pali teachings that we have are the largest collection of teachings that we have from Gautama Buddha's lifetime. But we know that we don't have everything because in those Pali teachings, we don't have exactly how he actually recommended to do loving kindness meditation. So therefore, what you're going to find is many different types and many different styles of loving kindness meditation in the world that may or may not help you. And what you should be doing as a wise and astute practitioner is never believing your teacher, never just accepting what I say, but instead learn what I have to share with you, practice that on a regular basis, and then you test whether this is actually working for you or not. Don't just listen to me and don't just believe me, but learn what I'm sharing with you, practice it. And then when you practice it for a week or two weeks or however long you would like to start practicing this and experiencing it, you will discover that this meditation will absolutely work for you. I've taught this to thousands of people and I hear that it works really, really well for these students. So I would like to share that with you today through our live stream, through our virtual classroom, through our podcast, and help you to learn this style of meditation so that you can start working on eliminating this poison of hatred, of anger, of ill will, this fetter of ill will, and start to cut down your frustration, your irritation, your annoyance, your hostility, your aggression, even if you have the slightest little dislike, this meditation with the accumulated effects of actually doing this meditation will help you to slowly and gradually reduce this poison in the mind and you will observe that you will go from anger to frustration to irritation to annoyance to dislike and all of the various situations and conversations will slowly start to dissipate this particular poison in the mind. But before I jump into actually teaching you guys the loving kindness meditation, I would like to just pause and see if there's any questions before we move on. Any questions about why are we doing loving kindness meditation? Any questions of what the purpose is and what actually loving kindness is what's the definition of loving kindness so are there any questions from the virtual classroom or anyone out on our live streaming sites 
Hi David, there are no questions at this time, but I'd like to take this opportunity just to invite people to ask any questions either on the Facebook chat window or on YouTube, wherever you happen to be, and we will get around to them. Thank you so much, Max. That's a great reminder. Anybody out there in the live streaming world on YouTube or Facebook or any of the other sites that we're live streaming to, just place your question in the comment section of this live stream and then Max will ask that for you and you will hear the response through the video live stream. So let's move on to actually learning loving kindness meditation. And in order to do so, I'm going to place on the screen a diagram that's going to help me explain to you how I conduct loving kindness meditation and what I recommend for you to try for a few weeks and experience it. What you see here is you see some rings and you see some affirmations. Focusing on the diagram on your screen, notice that you are in the middle of this diagram and then there's various rings that move out from there. The way loving kindness meditation works is you do whatever you normally do in order to move the mind into meditation. For me, that's chanting and I use chanting to ease the mind into meditation and start to become aware of the mind and aware of the breath. And then I ease the mind into meditation. I will do breathing mindfulness meditation first. That's the meditation that I taught last week. This is also in chapter 11 of the book and our podcast and YouTube channels and all the different places where we share content has descriptions of what breathing mindfulness meditation is. And we'll actually do a very short abbreviated session of that today when we actually do meditation. We need to cut down our craving and our desire and our attachments, letting the thoughts go first. Because in order to cultivate loving kindness, we need to first work to eliminate our greed or our craving. Now you could just do loving kindness meditation on its own by itself. But what you'll notice is you'll get much more benefit out of the loving kindness meditation if you first do breathing mindfulness meditation and really root the mind into meditation, developing what the Buddha called singleness of mind, single mindedness. Okay. Single mindedness is focusing the mind just on the breath, letting go of the past, letting go of the future, letting go of any thoughts or ideas or perceptions by focusing the mind on the breath. That's the present moment. And you start to shed away all these miscellaneous thoughts and ideas and perceptions that the mind's holding on to. So you do that for a period of time, be it 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, however long you would like to do that. Today, we'll probably just do a really short five or 10 minute session of that. Then we're going to go into loving kindness meditation. In loving kindness meditation, we start with you, meaning I, because you need to cultivate loving kindness for yourself. Cultivating loving kindness for yourself is really important because oftentimes we have this negative self-talk in the mind that's telling you you're no good or you're not good enough or you know negative things in the mind. Or you may even be getting a lot of positive things you know, from the ego. 
bolstering the mind and creating a lot of pride or ego in the mind. So what you need to do is cut that down with the breathing mindfulness meditation and then with loving kindness meditation, focus on you. You are the first person that you're cultivating loving kindness for. Because how could you ever have loving kindness for others if you don't first cultivate it for yourself? It's kind of like if somebody was poor and they were trying to teach everyone how to be rich, how could you teach someone to be rich if you actually aren't rich yourself? So how could you actually cultivate loving kindness for others if you don't have loving kindness for yourself first? So we're going to start with ourself. And what we do is we repeat these affirmations that you see on the screen. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. This is four statements that you're repeating for yourself. And notice here that the last word is what I call a non-burdening intention. We didn't say here, may I be kind, or may I be respectful, or may I be polite, right? Because that's like a burden. It requires me to do something to be respectful. It requires me to do something to be polite. Now, of course, these are desirable or certain qualities that we would like to practice, but here, loving kindness meditation we want to repeat affirmations that aren't burdening ourselves or other people with some type of requirement. So we're repeating these statements in the mind one by one. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentness in the suffering that it causes. And we're repeating that on the out breath. So we're going to be breathing in through the nose and then out through the nose. And on the out breath, you repeat in the mind, may I be peaceful. Repeat that in the mind. Then on the next in breath and then on the out breath, you're going to repeat in the mind, may I be safe. And then you breathe in and on the out breath, may I be well and so forth and so on. Now I'm going to be saying these affirmations out loud. If I was going to be doing this by myself, or if you were doing this by yourself, you wouldn't necessarily say this out loud. You just repeat it in the mind. Because I'm guiding the meditation, I'll be saying these affirmations out loud. But if you saw me doing this on my own, you wouldn't hear anything. On the outside looking in, when I'm doing breathing mindfulness meditation, or I'm doing loving kindness meditation, it looks exactly the same. But what's happening in the mind and how you're training the mind is going to be different from breathing mindfulness meditation to loving kindness meditation. So my guidance when you're in meditation and I'm speaking, my guidance at first is going to be for breathing mindfulness meditation. Then I'm going to be providing you guidance for loving kindness meditation. And I'm going to start with may I be peaceful. And when you hear that, you just repeat it in the mind on the out-breath. Whenever you get to the out-breath, you just repeat that in the mind. May I be peaceful. Then when I say, may I be safe, 
on your next out breath, you just repeat that in the mind, may I be safe, may I be well, may I be free of all discontentness and the suffering it causes. Then we're going to make these various rings going further and further and further out. On the screen, of course, you see, may we be peaceful, may all beings be peaceful. This is just a three ring loving kindness meditation. However, you typically will make more rings than just three. You may make four, five, six, seven, eight. The interesting thing about this meditation is there's the ability for you to do a little bit of customization and a little bit of creativity. You're going to hear when we actually do the meditation that I'm not going to stick just to what we have on the screen here. I'm going to fill in some other rings besides just what we have on the screen. I'm going to fill in some other rings either by relationship or location, geographic location, or other ways of slowly moving from me all the way out until we get to all beings. And you want to end your meditation with all beings. And essentially what you're doing here is you're cultivating loving kindness for yourself and ultimately by going through all these various rings, you have covered every being that you can imagine that you've cultivated this in the mind. And by cultivating this in the mind in meditation, it's then your job to then carry that goodwill without judgment, that loving kindness towards all beings to carry that with you in daily life. So that now by spending some time in meditation, training the mind in this way to cultivate loving kindness towards yourself and all beings, what you will notice over an extended period of time of practicing this is you will notice that you have the ability to practice goodwill towards all beings without judgment more and more because you've spent the time to cultivate this in your meditation sessions. So now when you're around people that are agreeable to you, of course, you're going to have loving kindness, active goodwill. But then slowly over time, even people that you are disagreeable with or people that you feel that have harmed you or people that you have troubled relationships with, whether it's parents or siblings or children or neighbors or friends or coworkers, you will notice that the mind will slowly start to relate to these other beings in a very loving and kind way, which is active goodwill towards all beings. So you will be able to use this meditation that, and you can refer to this book in chapter 11, where you'll find more details on this meditation. You can use this particular meditation exactly as I'm going to teach it and share it with you today, or you can customize this and use different phrases rather than the phrases that I'm using here. But just be sure when you customize this, that you use phrases that are non-burdening, that don't require you or other beings to actually do something. So use words like peaceful, safe, well, things like this. The other thing that you'll notice is that you can customize how the actual rings are constructed. If you're having trouble with one particular person in terms of your mind feels hostility or aggression or anger towards a particular person, you might actually start with yourself, move to that person and just repeat this over and over and over and over again and then go to all beings.
And it's important to keep in mind that this meditation is for you. This isn't a prayer. This isn't you sending loving kindness to the other people and obligating them to be loving and kind to you because you can't force another being and change them through your meditation. You can't change another person through your meditation. You don't have the power to meditate and force another person to change. So what you're doing here in this meditation is you're cultivating in your mind loving kindness, active goodwill without judgment towards yourself, all beings, the agreeable, the disagreeable, anybody that you have hostility towards. You're cultivating this in your mind so that then when you're around that person in the next time or in the future, then you respond in a more loving and kind way. So it's really important that you understand that you're not wishing for other people to treat you more loving and you more kind. You're actually training your own mind to relate to other people more loving, more kind, with active goodwill, without judgment. So by moving through these various rings, you're taking the opportunity to cultivate this loving kindness for yourself, all beings all over the world, and even some people create rings here for aliens, people beyond the earthly world, and having loving kindness for even beings that you've never encountered before. So if you feel that those beings exist, you probably want to cultivate loving kindness for them as well. So if you ever encounter somebody from another planet, that you have active goodwill towards them without fear. So let me pause here and see if there's any questions from our virtual classroom or anyone online. I have a question, David, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on uh, th this way of practicing loving kindness, where you, you start with yourself and then you move to uh, a, uh, someone you know really well and can easily feel loving feelings for, and then to a neutral person, someone you barely know at all and there's no obvious feeling, and then to someone you might find more difficult or, or maybe someone who is quite important that you, you could say you can work with them or, or that you feel real aversion towards and it's bothering you, and then to all beings and using that as a kind of stepping stone approach. Yeah, that would work fine. That's just kind of a different construction of the rings. And almost every time I do this, I create a different construction of the rings. So what you just described is kind of a way that you might feel that with your own creativity and your own way of practice, that you would like to construct those rings in that particular way. And if that works for you and it's benefiting you, then, then use that. That completely fits in with what I'm describing here. And that goes to the creativity of being able to create these rings on your own and to be able to create these affirmations on your own, the type of affirmations that you would like to use. So you're welcome to do what I share here, or you can create your own. And the rings that you're talking about, those may work for you for a particular period of time, and then you might decide to kind of change it and use a different organization of rings. Because remember, the mind's gonna have a tendency to hold on, and it's gonna have a tendency to wanna to create this permanent loving kindness meditation that you always, always do and do it a certain way. So if your mind kind of gets fixed 
to doing loving kindness meditation in a certain way and it's working good for like a month or two or three to kind of challenge your mind one of the good things is to actually change those rings a little bit and it reinforces impermanence and it gives you kind of another way another perspective and another way to practice so what you described is completely fine i would just say don't get attached to that and try some other options as well great thank you you're welcome okay so does that mean we don't have any questions from anywhere else max yeah that's right no more questions at this time okay so let's go ahead and get into meditation and i'll lead you guys in a meditation session of breathing mindfulness meditation and then we'll move into loving kindness meditation so go ahead and take a position either sitting lying or standing most of you are probably sitting so you want to make your lower body comfortable if you're sitting on a floor just cross your legs lightly not too tight because you want to keep the circulation going if you're sitting in a chair or on the edge of a bed or on a stool just place your feet either flat on the floor or crossed whatever is comfortable for you this isn't about everybody doing it exactly the same it's about making your lower body comfortable then your upper body should be in the middle not slouched and not real rigid in the middle your hands and your arms they can be pretty much just about anywhere Gautama Buddha placed his right hand over his left and he put his thumbs together in the, the seat of his lap so that his palms and his hands were just placed on his lap where his lower body is now comfortable the upper body is comfortable and the hands and arms are just placed in the lap nice and comfortable so the the body should be comfortable but not luxurious because if you have lots of pillows and you're leaning back against the chair and all of these things the mind has a tendency to become unattentive or unalert unaware and during meditation we want to maintain our attentiveness so that we can train the mind we can actively train the mind okay so allow the body to just be comfortable so that that way you can access the mind if at any point the body feels uncomfortable or you feel pain just move to a different position or shift your body weight in order to get the body to be comfortable the mind is the boss the body is the employee so we need to make the employee comfortable so that we can get to the boss so with your body now comfortable close your eyes and breathe in through the nose and out through the nose nice natural steady breath breathing in and breathing out in through the nose and out through the nose the breath is the present moment so first we're going to do breathing mindfulness meditation before we move into loving kindness meditation so focus the mind on the breath breathing in through the nose and out through the nose the breath is the present moment so I'm going to do a little chant to kind of ease us into meditation. Then I'll give you some guidance during meditation. And then we'll finish up with another chant. Just focus on the breath. Letting things go. 
and then I'll be back with some more guidance. Arahang Sama Samoto Mahakawa Potang Mahakawanang Apiwati Ami Savakato Bhakavata Tamo Tamang Namasami Supatipano Bhakavato Savaka Sankho Sanghang Namami Napmodhasa Bhagavato Arahato Samhasambhutasa Napmodhasa Bhagavato Arahato Samhasambhutasa Napmodhasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Iti Pisoam Hakawa Arahang Sama Samhoto Vichacharanang samhuno Sakato roka vitu Anutero purisa Tamasati satatava manusanang Uto Pagavati Continue with your inhale through the nose and out through the nose. You should be working to fix the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath entering the nose or the sensation of the air entering the nose. That's the present moment. As the past or the future or thoughts, ideas, perceptions come into the mind, just let them go. Cut them off. Bring the mind to the breath to the present moment. So fixate the mind on the breath. Anything that comes to the mind, just let it go. Don't judge it. Don't try to figure out why. Don't try to follow or chase the thoughts. Just let it go and fixate the mind on the breath. I'm going to be quiet for a bit and just let you focus on the breath to clear the mind 
and bring the mind to the present moment. And after we do that, I will start with loving kindness meditation. So now just let the thoughts go. Recognize that they're all impermanent. You can cut the thoughts. You can train the mind to let go. You can focus on the breath. And training the mind to recognize impermanence and bringing the mind to the present moment is a very important skill to train the mind so that you can learn to control the mind. So focus the mind on the breath, letting go. You have nowhere to go. You have nothing to do. Nobody needs you right now. Just focus on the breath.
Now normally you can extend this breathing mindfulness meditation for as long as you like to establish a clear mind as much as possible to let go of the thoughts and ideas bringing the mind to the present moment and then you will start loving kindness meditation I'll say an affirmation out loud and you just repeat that in the mind on the next out breath we'll start with you and then we'll move into all beings slowly through various rings Continue your nice, steady, consistent breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Be peaceful. May I be safe. free of all discontentness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May we be safe.
May we be free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those that are close to me be peaceful. May they be safe. free of discontentness and the suffering that it causes. peaceful. May they all be safe. free of discontentness and the suffering that it causes. Peaceful. 
May they all be safe. May they all be well. May they all be free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. May all those that are sick and ill around the world, those with viruses, those with terminal illnesses, those that have hospital care, and those that cannot afford it, may all those beings that are sick, be well. May they be peaceful. safe. May they be free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. May all beings, wherever they reside, human, animal, any beings in all five realms, and those beings that are far, far beyond this world, may they all be peaceful.
May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. ตาตาวามานุสนัง
ഭഗവാതി Okay, so slowly bring yourself out of meditation. Just kind of open your eyes. If you need to wipe your face or rock your body side to side, loosen up your neck if your neck's tight. Just kind of bring the body and the mind back. So as you heard there when I was doing the various rings, it's different every time I do it pretty much. One of the things I like to tend to include is for all beings that I have harmed, may you all be peaceful, may you all be safe, may you all be well, free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. This really helps to eliminate guilt. If you have any guilt, of anybody that you've harmed in your past, any shame. Repeating this in your loving kindness meditation can help you eliminate that guilt. And then, if you notice right after that, I usually include, may all those beings that have harmed me be peaceful, safe, well, and free of discontentness. This helps you to forgive people that have harmed you. Because oftentimes the mind holds on to these two things. And remember, this meditation is about you. This practice is about you in your mind. Has nothing to do with those other people other than you need to cultivate a loving and kind mind, active goodwill towards all beings. And if you're holding on to feelings of guilt for people that you feel like you've harmed in your life, then you still have guilt. You still have discontentedness. You need to eliminate that guilt and get to a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So you need to eliminate guilt in order to do that. So all beings that you have harmed, oftentimes including that in your meditation, will help you to eliminate guilt. And then all beings that have harmed me. And I know in this world, there's a lot of harm that we do and a lot of harm that is brought to us. One of the things that comes to mind is things like sexual abuse. This is a very hard thing for us to deal with if we've been a, a victim of that. And it's very hard oftentimes to forgive people that have violated our trust, that have violated our body and have created such harm in the world. But you got to bring the mind to a place where you can let that go. You have to let that go. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. The body is very sacred. And I know that the trust of oftentimes the people who violate that trust are often people that shouldn't be violating the trust family members, friends, people in the religious field, community leaders, bosses, many different people, even strangers. In a violation of this trust, it can cause fear in the mind 
that we walk around with fear of what's lurking around the next corner. So in this same poison of hatred and anger, there's oftentimes resentment that is, is harbored and held onto. And one of the things that this meditation can do, if you include these people either as in a general way, if people you've harmed or people that have harmed you, or if you're holding on to harm that one particular or two particular people or however many particular people have caused to you, you may need to sit with this meditation for many weeks, many months, and slowly erode the resentment and the distrust that you have. It doesn't mean that you need to go back to that person and be by their side at every moment. Maybe you've made a choice to be safe and be away from that person or those people that have been harming you. And you've gotten to a point where you're physically away from those people. But mentally, the mind may still be holding on. And this particular meditation, the one before with breathing mindfulness meditation and this meditation can really help you to work on letting that resentment go letting that distrust go, letting that harm that was brought to you, to your physical body, letting that go. Because the harm that's been done is not just to the physical body. It's oftentimes the harm to the mind as well. So if the physical body is now safe and you're away from the people that have harmed you, now it's time for you to start working on the mind. And this particular meditation is really, really good at that. Not only the one before, the breathing mindfulness meditation to let go of those thoughts and feelings that you have from the past, but also this particular meditation to cultivate loving kindness towards other people, including those that have harmed you. So active goodwill towards all beings the agreeable, the disagreeable, including those people that have harmed us. I know this is challenging and it might, might be uh, really hard for you. And that's okay if that's where you're at right now. But over time, if you practice these meditations, you can slowly chip away at the mind that's holding on to any kind of resentment or any kind of fear or any kind of distrust, this conditioning of the mind, this harm that's been inflicted in the mind, let that go. You have the ability to do that. And these two tools, breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, are two ways that you can work on training the mind to do that. You need to learn the other teachings that the Buddha shared in order to help you eliminate this. But now that you are hopefully in a physically safe place, now work on getting to a mentally safe place where you can mentally let this go. And these two meditations are a great way to do that. So I hope this has been really helpful uh, to eliminate this poison of hatred or anger, this fetter of ill will, which will help reduce the anger, hostility, aggression, frustration, irritation, resentment, annoyance, dislike. All of these things need to be eliminated from the mind. And it takes work. It takes a lot of work. But I'm here to help you. 
guide you, provide you guidance. Pretty much everything that you've probably encountered in terms of harm that you've caused other people and harm that's been caused to you, I've had those same harms done to me. And I've also harmed other people in certain ways. So I understand how to let go of the guilt from harming others. And I understand how to let go of the guilt and shame and resentment of some of these other really, really hard things that have happened to us in our life. So feel free to reach out, whether it's in these classes or in a private message, or if you'd like to have a private video talk or audio talk to help you erode these harms that are in the mind and eliminate this poison of craving and anger and also the unknowing of true reality, eliminating this resentment, this hostility, this anger. It takes time. It takes a lot of work. None of this stuff is magical. Gautama Buddha didn't attain enlightenment at the snap of a finger. You know, I've seen people that will say that Gautama Buddha sat down under a Bodhi tree and he instantly became enlightened. Or I've also seen things recently where people say the Buddha meditated for 40 days straight and he, he became enlightened. This is not true at all. The Buddha worked for six years of dedicated practice to get to enlightenment. Six long years. And then he needed to continue his practice for the rest of his life. He took six years for him to attain enlightenment. So it's going to take you some time. But with dedication, with commitment, with confidence in these teachings, and confidence in your teacher, you can slowly, gradually work towards enlightenment. In Gautama Buddha's teachings, in the books that I read that have the Buddha's teachings, these are just some of them. These are just some of them. Buddha Wajana means the words of the Buddha, the teachings of the Buddha. That's what Buddha Wajana means. The Buddha says he gradually trained the mind to attain enlightenment. He never said that he did it in an instant. He never said he did it in 40 days. He talks in his teachings. It's a gradual pursuit. So you need resources like books, like videos, like podcasts, like classes like this to take in the teachings and understand them intellectually. And then you need to put those teachings into practice and work to train the mind. It's not a fast process. It's not lightning fast. So part of what you need to learn is patience. That's a very important quality of an enlightened mind is patience, calmness, equanimity. It doesn't happen quickly. So slowly work at this. And even someday when you actually attain enlightenment, okay, you've attained enlightenment. What's next? Just live the rest of your life with peacefulness. So there's no rush. There's no hurry. A lot of times in our culture, in Western culture, we always want to hurry to get something because it's that craving, that desire, that, that attachment, that longing, that strong eagerness that makes us want to hurry to get to enlightenment. Well, you can't hurry to enlightenment. You can't hurry to it. It's called walking the path with the Buddha or walking the middle way. It's not running. It's not hurry up and get there. It's walking the path 
with the Buddha. It takes time. It takes dedication. And these classes are one of the ways that you can learn and practice and continually build up your knowledge and wisdom to actually have something to practice. So what I suggest for you is to practice this meditation for now in pretty much until you know for 100% that you have no resentment, no hostility, no anger, no frustration, which is probably going to be quite a long time. Practice this and see that it works. Work with it day in and day out. Work with it. Work with it and work with it. I have other resources through podcasts and YouTube and other things that have other guided meditations of breathing mindfulness meditation and other guided loving kindness meditations that you can use to help you get started and then work with it on your own. It's the only way. There's no pill you can take that's going to instantly change the mind. There's no special mantra that you can chant that's going to instantly change the mind. There's no prayer that you can say that's going to instantly change the mind. There's no bell you can hit that's going to instantly change the mind. All of the, the, the progress on this path is from your dedication, your commitment, your effort, your hard work. So uh, spend some time with it and work with it and see that it works for you. And then if it's not working, get back in touch and let's talk about it. Post some questions in our Facebook group. Reach out to me privately and I'll help you and I'll provide you a consultation. I'll provide you guidance and help you along the path. Okay. Any questions from anybody in our virtual classroom or online? Yes, so we have a couple of questions on Facebook. We'll go to Arnold first. Arnold asks, um, he, he asks this whilst you're talking about letting go. And he asks, can the subconscious let go? Yes, absolutely. You know, there's the consciousness, if you want to say consciousness and self-conscious or subconsciousness. These are kind of modern terms. In the Buddhist teachings, there's just the mind. He didn't separate it in consciousness and subconsciousness. It's just the mind. It's, it's just one thing. It's the mind. And whether we call it the subconscious, which essentially means something that's deeply rooted in the mind, it's essentially what we're saying when we say subconscious to me. It's still the mind. Or whether we're talking about the consciousness, like right now, what I have right now in front of me, this is, if we call this the consciousness, either way, it's still the mind. And these teachings, these practices of meditation will help you to release the mind's natural tendency to hold on to things. So we don't really delineate or separate between the consciousness and the subconsciousness because these are more modern things. It's just all the mind, whether it's the consciousness or subconsciousness, it's, it's just the mind. And yes, these practices will eliminate the mind's tendency to hold on, whether it's pain or, or harm that you've done to others or others have done to you. I'd like to ask a follow-up to that actually which is that as you do let go of things and let go of them consciously might you find that the attachments tend to present themselves so, so things from the subconscious might appear which you can then continue to deal with until it's completely uprooted yeah so 
one of the ways that I used to describe this whole process of enlightenment, you know, we talk about the onion, like peeling back the onion and getting to the middle, the core. And when you get to the core, it's even harder to pull back the layers of the onion. And eventually you get to emptiness, which is nothing because every, all the conditioning has been removed. Well, one of the other ways that I talk about training the mind to enlightenment, to this emptiness, to this natural mind of enlightenment, is it's like untangling a ball of string. So if you think about a ball of string like wound up really, really tight in the core, and then as you go on the outside, it's lighter and lighter. And same thing with the onion, the outer layers are are much lighter and easier to peel back. And as you unwind this ball of, of string and you get closer and closer to the core, the stuff is tighter and tighter. And this is what Arnold is talking about probably with the subconsciousness, but I just call it the mind. It's very tight. And as you're unraveling this ball of string, you might be peeling away some of the layers and didn't even realize what was in there. And things can can really unravel on you. And this is why everybody needs teachers. This is why people need guidance. People who are at home just watching YouTube videos and practicing on their own, a lot of times people can have a lot of problems with the mind. I've talked to students that meditated for a year on their own with YouTube videos and they've happened to reaching out to me because now they have obsessive thoughts or they're kind of caught in between. Their mind has some awareness and some awakeness, but they don't have the guidance they need to push forward to full awakening and they can't go backwards either. And they're kind of stuck in the middle. And it's not the good middle that the Buddha talked about. It's like the mind is like shaking. It's the mind's still fearful. So yes, as you start meditating and start unraveling this stuff through breathing mindfulness meditation and through loving kindness meditation, things that you didn't even know were in there can start unraveling and coming out. And this is why it's so important that every single person who's looking to awaken the mind to enlightenment absolutely has teachers and guides around you to help you. Only a Buddha can do this by their self. And this is the reason why a lot of people in the West are having trouble with awakening the mind because in the West, we tend to do things as independently. We, we tend to be very independent in our culture. We just want to do everything ourselves. We want to live by ourselves. We want to drive our car by ourselves. We want to be independent from our parents. We want to be financially independent. You know, we have a lot of independence that we work for in our culture. But what everyone needs to understand is that that's not how these teachings work whatsoever. You need teachers around you first to learn the teachings and to help you and guide your practice. But you also need teachers so that when this mind starts to unravel, if anything at all, you can just contact your teacher and say, hey, is this normal? Have you experienced this? This is what's going on in my mind. Have you ever experienced this? I get questions like that from students all the time. I, I actually got one today. Uh, somebody sent me a, a question like, hey, this is happening in my, in my life right now. My mind is experiencing this. Is this normal? Did you ever experience this? So I get these kind of questions all the time. And if the least thing that a teacher can do for you is say, yes, that's normal, we're off and continuing on to the path. But if you were at home for years just doing YouTube, just watching Dhamma talks that people do 
online. Like there's a lot of well-known teachers who publish their Dhamma talks, which I do as well. But you really need to have personal relationship and personal contact with a teacher or multiple teachers. Most people have a, a primary teacher and they work with that person for however long. And as long as they're making progress and they're continuing to progress, there's no reason to switch to another teacher. But because the mind is so deeply rooted and holding on to things so deeply, as you start unraveling the mind, boom, it's like those those snakes that you pop open the, the can and the snakes kind of jump out of the can. The mind can do that to you. And if you don't have the support and the guidance around you, this is where people can go into depression. This is where people can have severe anxieties. This is where I've worked with some students. They've had obsessive thoughts because they were just meditating on their own. And they finally have gotten to a point where they feel like they need guidance and they're reaching out and they happen to find me and then I help them. And within a, a certain period of time, I'm able to kind of help stabilize their mind now that they've got guidance and they're able to make progress where before they were just kind of stuck. So yeah, as the mind unravels, it can be pretty scary. It can be pretty fearful. There can be a lot of guilt and shame and resentment and anger and frustration that comes out. And, but the, the good thing is, is the more you dig into that stuff, the more you dig into the mind and you clear it out, you won't have to deal with it ever again. What sometimes happens in our culture is we kind of cover it with medication or we cover it with something else, with alcohol or drugs or sex, right? We, we have these harmful things that happen to us and we just cover it and we keep it buried because then when it starts kind of rearing its head just a little bit, it feels uncomfortable. So we kind of cover it with sex, drugs, alcohol, or something else, medications. And that stuff never fixes it. The problems are still in there and the mind's still discontent. What this practice is about and these teachings are, are going to help you with is how to take the lid off of that stuff, let it all fly out. And with guidance of the teachings, with guidance of a teacher, you can deal with this stuff once and for all and you can deal with it and move on and clear it out. Today we have modern psychology, which has only been around probably for about 50 years or so. But in my eyes, Gautama Buddha has been the world's foremost expert of the mind that's ever existed. His teachings have been around for over 2,500 years, and they're deeply rooted in cultures like here in Thailand, in Sri Lanka, and other cultures around the world. He was the world's foremost expert in understanding the mind. Anything that we understand today in modern psychology or psychiatry, it's so new. It's like 50, 100 years old at best. That is like a drop in the bucket when you think about 2,500 years of, of history that these teachings have been cultivated and shared in places like Thailand and, and others. So yeah, the mind's going to unravel. And the more that you can incentivize that to happen, the better. Because you get all that ugliness and all that stuff out, and then you're dealing with a fresh, enlightened mind. It's kind of like rotten wood you can just cover the rotten wood with a piece of carpet and keep walking over the rotten wood, but eventually the floor is going to fall out because the rotten wood is going to rot all the way through and the floor is going to fall out and you're going to hit the bottom. 
So if you cover it with a carpet, you're just delaying the inevitable. But what a real wise person is going to do is they're going to dig in there. They're going to chop out all that rotten wood. They're going to get all the maggots and all the, the grubs and everything out of that rotten wood. They're going to get down to the core of the real solid wood. And then they're probably going to put some new wood, some fresh wood on top of that and make the floor nice and strong and stable. So now you've got a stable, steady mine in which to operate from. But if you just throw a carpet over it or as you're meditating and some of these things start rearing their head, if you're like, no, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to go there. I don't, I'm not ready to go there. I don't want to go there. And you just keep pushing it away. It's just like putting the carpet over the rotten wood. And eventually the floor is going to fall out. And then you're, you've hit rock bottom. So yeah, you got to deal with this stuff or else it, it's, it's just going to plague you for the rest of this life and all your future lives because you're going to keep being reborn over and over and over again. So you might as well, while you're close to the Dhamma, you're close to the Buddhist teachings, you might as well learn, pick up the books, they're free, pick up the videos, they're free, the podcasts, they're free, these classes are free. It's nice if you offer donations because it helps me do what I need to do. But for me, all I'm really interested in is helping people. So deal with this stuff. You've got somebody that's really interested and willing to help you. I'm not going anywhere for another 45 years or so until I die. So if you start uncovering things in the mind and it starts unraveling and you need help, I'm, I'm here to help you. So definitely dig in there, root out all of the, the ugliness that's, that's in the mind. You can completely root it out 100%. Great, thank you, David. And uh, I'll actually answer Karen's question because I think I can, I can answer this one, which is that um, yes, you can donate via Patreon or PayPal and both links will be um, in the post on Facebook there. Um, so next question is from Tina. And Tina's asking about how to manage sleepiness during meditation. Oh, Any perfect. Yes. What I recommend for sleepiness is a couple of things. First of all, if you're meditating regularly and you've got some dedicated training sessions and good training sessions going and you notice that the mind is becomes sleepy, then one thing is just sleep. Get some sleep. Get some rest. The mind needs it. So get some rest. That's that's the first thing. Make sure your mind is, is well rested and you're getting sufficient sleep. The second thing is, is if you've got regular, consistent sleep going on and the mind and the body is rested, but you still keep falling asleep during meditation, then what you need to do is you need to switch. Don't do seated and lying meditation, but switch to standing meditation or walking meditation. This is why the Buddha gave us four positions to meditate in so that you can actually rotate your positions. So if you're trying to get a dedicated meditation session in and you're sitting or you're lying and you keep falling asleep and the mind is unattentive, stand up and just stand and meditate. That's one of the positions the Buddha gave us. Or learn walking meditation where you can actually walk and do meditation. And if you've been walking for 10, 15, 20 minutes and you still wanna keep meditating, try to sit down again and now sit for 5, 10, 15, 20, however long minutes that you would like to meditate. 
And if you feel sleepy again, stand up or walk. There's no reason why you can't change positions during your meditation period. So you can actually move from meditation position to meditation position, which will keep the mind alert. That's the second thing. The third thing is when you're meditating in a seated position, always be sure that you're using your own muscles in order to meditate. So you want to support your upper body with your own muscles. You don't want to lean back in a chair. Uh, That will induce sleep sometimes. Um, But even with using your own muscles, sometimes you can be nodding off and nodding off. If you notice that, just stand up or walk. And then, of course, just be sure that the mind's always rested by getting sufficient sleep. Because that could be an indication that you're just not getting a sufficient sleep. And you can actually do multiple meditation sessions over the course of a day. You can meditate in the morning. You can meditate in the night. You can meditate in the middle of the day. If you've got time, you can meditate different times during the day. So if you're noticing at night, particularly at night, that you keep dozing off, include a meditation session in the morning and in the, or in the midday when your mind's more alert. And then the fourth thing I'll say about this is one of the benefits of meditating is the more that you train the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation like I teach, you'll notice as you let go of attachments and you train the mind to be in the present moment, you'll notice that your mind will return back to the way you were when you were a child, that you'll be able to fall asleep at the drop of a hat. Because when you were a child, your mind was in the present moment. You didn't have all the worry. You didn't have all the attachment. You didn't have the bills. You didn't have the relationships. You didn't have the responsibilities. You didn't have the guilt, the shame, the frustration, all of the things that you have now in much higher quantities because your mind has gone through so much in your life. When you were a child, you didn't have as much of those things. So as you meditate in this way and you get closer and closer to enlightenment, what you're going to notice is your mind will become more sleepy. And that's actually one of the benefits of meditating. So I will typically meditate in the morning as my morning session to help get my day started and get it going. If any time during the day I feel like I need another meditation period, I will typically meditate again in the middle of the day. And then uh, I will also meditate in the evening as well in order to help me to eliminate any kind of things that the mind might be holding on to and to get a better sleep at night. So like, for example, today I meditated on my own this morning. I meditated this morning in class here in Chiang Mai with a group of students. I meditated just now with you guys. That's the third meditation I've done. And then tonight before I go to bed, I'll meditate again. Now, not everybody has this amount of time to meditate, but even if you got two meditation sessions in, you would be doing wonderful for yourself. Morning and evening. Usually in the morning, things are kind of quiet. In the evening, things are kind of quiet. Your stomach is empty during those two times. So you tend to meditate better because the body's not so busy digesting food. So if you meditate in the morning, in the evening, those are two great markers where you can set down for yourself and say, okay, this is my time to meditate and I'm gonna meditate on these two times. And if you want to put in another session and somewhere in the middle, go for it. So yeah, try standing, try walking, make sure the mind's rested, 
And then also know that this is one of the benefits of practicing these teachings is that you'll be more easy to fall asleep because you're training the mind better and better in this way. We have a question from Jordan. Jordan asks, how is being content different from being happy? Oh, great question. Happiness is impermanent. Happiness is a feeling that you can't hold on to permanently. So happiness, excitement, elation, these are all part of what the Buddha described as dukkha, or I use the word discontentedness. There's three feelings. There's painful feelings, which are like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, fears. These are all painful feelings. Then there's pleasant feelings, which are happiness, excitement, elation. These are pleasant feelings. Then we've got feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, like boredom, loneliness, shyness, kind of displeased or uncomfortable. So happiness is one of the feelings that the Buddha talked about when he described a discontent mind, because happiness or excitement or elation is impermanent. It's not a permanent mental state. And what happens is in our culture, in the Western culture, there's a lot of people that are craving happiness. They desire it. They want it. They have this strong eagerness and everyone's chasing, not everyone, but a lot of people are chasing this feeling of happiness. And because it's impermanent and the mind then moves to sadness or the mind then moves to anger or frustration or loneliness or boredom, people are trying to sustain this happy mind state or this happy feeling which is impermanent and what they're doing in order to sustain that is they're moving to drugs alcohol sex buying lots of things you know craving possessions material possessions this feeling of happiness is impermanent and what everyone needs to understand is that is not the goal of this life to have the mind permanently be happy because it's not possible. Some people describe enlightenment or nibbana as permanent happiness. It's not true. Happiness is a feeling that is impermanent, which is still discontent, and the mind pulls in that direction. One of the ways that you know this is true, and what I'm telling you is true, is you've been happy, and you haven't been able to hold on to it permanently. The other way that you know what I'm saying is true is that people like professional comedians are oftentimes very happy and they laugh a lot. They're very, very happy. But a lot of professional comedians, not all, but some of them will tell you that when the curtain closes and they're alone, their mind goes to sadness and depression. And there's some famous comedians in modern times that have committed suicide because their mind is so depressed and so sad. So happiness is not the goal, because if happiness was the goal, then professional comedians would have great, wonderful lives and they would always be perfectly happy and always happy. But because they're craving happiness so much, not only professional comedians, but a lot of people are craving happiness so much and they want it so badly, that craving, that wanting, that longing, that strong eagerness is making the mind go from the happiness over to sadness, despair, misery, and depression. So happiness is a feeling that is temporary. Contentedness 
is permanent. Once you attain the mental state of a peaceful mind, a calm mind, a serene mind, a content mind, then that can be maintained permanently. This is what enlightenment is. This is Nibbana, a permanent place for the mind to reside, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. That can be attained, and it's a permanent place for the mind to reside. See, one of the problems that the Buddha discovered is the mind does not like impermanence. It's not aware of impermanence. It doesn't realize that things are always changing and constantly changing. The mind craves permanence. And when it can't have it, because everything in life is impermanent, then the mind becomes discontent. Because the mind is so ill-equipped to deal with impermanence, when all everything keeps shifting and changing in life, that's when the mind becomes discontent. So what we're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is we're training the mind to understand impermanence by letting our thoughts go, by letting ideas go, by letting go of the past, by letting go of the future and focusing the mind in the present moment. You're rooting the mind in the present moment and allowing it to reside permanently peaceful, permanently serene, permanently content with joy. And that's why the mind is so joyful, because it's not worried about the past. It's not having anxiety about the future. It doesn't, it's not holding on to all this wants and all these cravings and all these expectations. It can reside in the present moment, peaceful, calm, serene, and content. And that you can accomplish permanently. And this is one of the interesting things about enlightenment. I was explaining this to somebody today. The mind is uncomfortable with impermanence. So the mind craves permanence. So what you need to do is you need to train the mind to accept impermanence, to deal with impermanence, to allow impermanence and just recognize that it's always there, letting go of all this craving, eliminating all this hatred and anger, ill will, hostility, so forth, letting improving with wisdom to eliminate this third poison of unknowing of true reality, eliminate the self, eliminate the ego. And when you do this and you, and you move the mind closer and closer to enlightenment, the mind eventually gets exactly what it wanted, which is the permanent mental state of enlightenment. It gets the permanent peacefulness, the permanent calm, the permanent serenity of mind, the permanent contentedness, the permanent joy. So you have to first train the mind to accept impermanence, to practice non-attachment, and to just go with the flow and let things go. And when you eliminate all your craving, you eliminate all your unwholesome gamma, you finally get, the mind finally gets in enlightenment. It finally gets what it was craving all along, which is permanence. But in order to get there, you have to get it to accept impermanence and eliminate all the cravings. You got that, Max? You understand that? Yeah. See? Yeah, I that. It finally gets what it it finally gets what it wanted, which is that permanence. And that's enlightenment. And then it's permanently peaceful, permanently calm, permanently serene permanently content 
and permanently joyful, blissful. All right, so we've got another question from Arnold. And he, Arnold asks, is it true that the Buddha achieved enlightenment and uncovered the path through multiple lifetimes? And this is how he was able to uncover a pure path to enlightenment. Absolutely. Um, I agree with that. Um, and here's why. Oftentimes people ask me, when did you start practicing the Buddhist teachings? Right? And it's like, how do you answer that question? Do I answer it in terms of recent times? Do I answer it in terms of when did I first become aware of the Buddhist teachings in this lifetime? Or now that I have observed previous lives and I know I was practicing in previous lives, do I talk about those times when I was practicing the teachings of the Buddha? Or do I even talk about when I was an animal? Because all the different animal existences that I saw, there was still gamma being generated during those, those births. So the Buddha became the Buddha in that particular lifetime that he became Gautama Buddha and he attained enlightenment and ultimately wasn't reborn anymore. But during his previous lives, he was learning certain things that some of that helped him in his final birth. In his final birth, some of that stuff helped him because there are certain things from in this life that I have now that what I learned in previous lives, some of that wisdom actually did come into to this life. But it was only in this life that I was able to accomplish what I've accomplished now. And that's just for me to understand. So I would agree that, yes, the previous lives of the Buddha helped him to ultimately discover the path in his final life. But all the ultimate hard work for him to push all the way through to the finish line was in that last life. And that's when he became a Buddha, a fully self-awakened, enlightened Buddha who's no longer ever going to be reborn again. And it's said that it took him six years in that life. But even before that, when he was a prince, he was learning things even prior to that, that was helping him to attain enlightenment. Uh, there were things that he was learning, I'm sure, as he was a prince that ultimately helped him in his pursuit to enlightenment. But he had that real dedicated six years that it took him to get to the, to the final goal. So, um, yeah, I would agree with that statement. But honestly, in true reality, it doesn't really matter because the Buddhist life is in the past. He shared his teachings at that moment. We are now 2,500 years later. And now the goal is, is for you and me and everyone else in the world to learn and practice these teachings to attain enlightenment so the entire species can evolve to a higher consciousness. So this question, while it's interesting to talk about, it really has no direct implication or direct effect to whether you attain enlightenment in this life right now. So it's interesting to talk about the past and his history, but what you really should focus your mind on is learning the teachings so that you can attain enlightenment in this life. We have a question from Zoom, uh, from Karen. And Karen asks, some people say they meditate while gardening, amongst other things. Can the mind really get to a point of meditation doing this? 
No, this isn't meditation. Uh, a lot of people say that they meditate when they're gardening or they'll take a jog and they're going to go meditate while they're jogging or they'll meditate while they're walking the dog. Let's define what meditation is. Meditation is a independent, dedicated training session devoted to training the mind, right? So while I'm gardening, I'm gardening and I might be mindful. I might have awareness of mind. What mindfulness is, is awareness of mind. Now, while I'm gardening, I have awareness of mind, but I'm not meditating. Meditation is a dedicated, independent training session where we're training the mind using breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. What we're doing in meditation is we're either training the mind to eliminate certain qualities or cultivate certain qualities. So in breathing mindfulness meditation, we're training the mind to eliminate craving, to train the mind to eliminate greed, to eliminate attachment, to eliminate this natural tendency to long with a strong eagerness and hold on to things. In breathing mindfulness meditation, it's a dedicated independent training session to eliminate craving in the mind and that the mind does not accept impermanence. So we're training the mind to eliminate this craving. In loving kindness meditation, we're training the mind to cultivate, cultivate goodwill, bring it in to the mind. Then there's a third meditation that we only use on a case-by-case basis for sexual cravings. If someone has a lot of sexual cravings, there's a special meditation that we do to help you eliminate sexual cravings. That's a dedicated, independent training session to eliminate sexual cravings from the mind. Then there's a fourth meditation that I teach called meditation for non-self. This is a meditation to help you eliminate the concept of a self, eliminate the ego, and work on that. So out of the four meditations that I teach, three of them are teaching you to eliminate certain qualities from the mind, and one of them are teaching you to cultivate certain qualities. But none of those would ever be done while jogging, while walking the dog, or while gardening. Because remember, the Buddha only taught to do one thing at a time. When you're walking, walking. When you're talking, talking. When you're eating, you're eating. When you're urinating, you're urinating. When you're defecating, you're defecating. So we wouldn't walk the dog and attempt to meditate at the same time. It's not possible. So we just do one thing at a time. And uh, that's a great question, Karen. I'm glad you asked that. I have a question about loving kindness meditation. I've heard it said that it is it is the only other kind of meditation that's absolutely vital to achieve enlightenment in addition to breathing mindfulness. But with that in mind, how would you suggest incorporating it into your uh, meditation routine? Would you suggest doing it, for example, every day or, or maybe only bring it in on those days or through those periods where you feel like you really need it because the aversion is running amok? How would you advise going about that? Yeah, you can, you can implement it in a lot of different ways. Everybody needs breathing mindfulness meditation and everyone needs loving kindness meditation like you just said, Max. Those are the two core meditations that every single being on the planet needs in order to attain enlightenment. 
Now, you're going to see a lot of different other meditations that are being taught out there. But if you run around spending a lot of time trying to learn all these different meditations and you're not focusing on the teachings to implement the teachings in your daily life, like the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, and a lot of the other, the Ten Fetters and all of these things. If you're spending a lot of time just learning meditations, then you're only focused on the eighth step of the Eightfold Path. You're not focusing on all the other steps. So if you bring your mind to only focus on these two meditations, the Breathing Mindfulness Meditation and the Loving Kindness Meditation, then those are the only two core trainings that you need. You can really fine tune where your time and attention gets spent because you only have so much time in a given day. So those are the only two meditations that everyone absolutely needs. How you implement loving kindness meditation is really up to you. You can do it like what you just said, Max, is when you're having trouble with hatred and anger and frustration, when that's really risen a lot in you, that's definitely a time that you want to be doing a lot of loving kindness meditation. But in addition to that, you want to kind of get ahead of this curve, right? You really are incented to not allow the hatred and anger to come up. So even times when the hatred and anger, hostility and aggression is down, that's a really good time to do loving kindness meditation because it's already down so low, you're kind of putting in new wood, right? So you've already kind of whittled away the rotted wood and gotten down to the solid wood now let's put some more solid wood on top of it to make it really solid. So don't wait until the wood gets really rotted and then actually start meditating. Of course, you, you can do it then and it's going to be helpful. But even when the, the hatred and anger, frustration, everything is down really low, that's a perfect time to be doing loving kindness meditation and kind of get ahead of the curve. So whether you implement loving kindness meditation once a week or twice a week or three times a week, however you choose to do it, it's going to change. You might, you know, just really hone in and focus on loving kindness meditation for a week or two weeks or three weeks and then kind of just get re rooted with breathing mindfulness meditation and then just do an occasional loving kindness meditation. You have to decide for yourself. This is where everybody's practice is going to have essentially the same similar things like breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, all of these different things. But how that looks in each person's life is going to look very different. So early in practice, when I had a lot of anger, a lot of hostility, I did loving kindness meditation like daily. It was like a daily part of my practice, sometimes two or three times a day. But then as I got ahead of the curve on that and everything was getting better and better, I kind of reduced it down. But then when I saw the anger and frustration come up, then I would add it back in. So you'll have to make those decisions for yourself. If you find that hostility is there, anger is there, yeah, bring it in. But also bring it in when it's low as well and stay ahead of the curve. Really good idea. Thank you. That really resonates and i really like this idea of getting it ahead of the curve mm -hmm. because practice is is really it's it's prevention and the cure you know i think every step of the eightfold path acts as both prevention and cure in some sense good point um, absolutely so, so, so thanks for that so karen asks is there an ideal amount of time per session for example is five minutes even worth it 
I don't like to give an exact amount of time because like I've mentioned before, I've had five or 10 minute sessions that were outstanding and I've had 45 minute sessions where I've struggled all the way through, but there's benefit in both of those. So I would never say to not meditate. So if you've got five minutes, yeah, sit down and meditate because the benefits of meditation is an accumulative effect. It's an accumulative effect. And this is why I use the analogy of a bucket. You have either an empty bucket or you have a certain amount of water in your bucket. You may even have holes in your bucket because now, even if you've been practicing for a long time, if you haven't been practicing in the way that I'm teaching you here, you may actually have holes in your bucket that you've been doing things that as you're trying to put water in, it just goes right out the bottom. So as you're meditating, whether it's five minutes, whether it's 20 minutes, whether it's an hour, whether then you go and do another 10 minutes, whether then you go do another 45 minutes, it's like scooping water into this bucket. To get to enlightenment, you have to fill up this bucket. So you have to seal the holes in the, in the bucket so that the bucket is solid bottom and there's not leaking any water. And throughout your life, throughout your day, you need to constantly be putting water into this bucket. So sure, if you've got five minutes, sit down and meditate. If you've got longer, do longer. I would never shy away from not doing meditation. I've even been in situations where I was preparing to do a presentation at a, at a temple to like a hundred monks and a bunch of lay people. And that particular night, I maybe had just a little bit of sleep and I felt like my mind wasn't really where I wanted it to be for that particular talk. And while all the students were coming into the room, I just sat in front of the room and just did a little meditation. And then somebody eventually came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, okay, we're ready to start class. And I just opened my eyes and started speaking. And I don't know how long that meditation was, probably five, eight minutes at most. And that was beneficial for me. It brought my mind to a better place where I could then deliver a talk to the bunks and to the lay people that were in that room. So if you have time and you feel like your mind's interested in meditating, go for it. Never shy away, even if it's five minutes. Uh, it's because it's an accumulative effect, acc accumulated benefits. And this is why some people will go away to a retreat and meditate for five, 10, 15, 30 days at a time because they're accumulating. And even when they go back home, they're not gonna have the same type of meditation schedule but you're accumulating the benefits from those 5, 10, 15, 20 days, filling up your bucket of water. And then when you go home, even you just do once or twice a day, you filled up your water, your bucket of water a lot so that now it helps to propel you in daily life. So I don't like to give a specific amount of time of 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, because if I gave you a certain time and you felt under that, you would feel like maybe guilty and a shameful or, like you're a failure. And then if I gave you a certain time, you wouldn't feel maybe comfortable going over that. You would feel like, okay, I got to the time David said, I'm just gonna stop there. But since it's an accumulated effect, if you can do more, do more. So if I give you a certain specific amount of time, it's really not, I don't think it's useful to, to do that because the mind is gonna be programmed to either feel guilty if you don't hit that, or if you go up to it, you maybe don't feel comfortable going over it. So just meditate as much as you can, as often as you can. There's no such thing, I don't feel, as meditating too much. 
There's no such thing as meditating too much. <laughs> All right, we have another question from Arnold. It's about meditation. Arnold asks, is it common to have a spacing out experience, a feeling as though you're zooming out, a feeling as if you're not part of reality? Absolutely. That can come as you're moving your practice forward and you're getting deeper and deeper in meditation. You may ultimately get to a place where you just feel like you're either hovering in space or you're walking off a cliff or the mind is just almost hovering in the room wherever you are or if you're outside. It's like you're not connected to anything, but yet you're connected to everything. It's like it's that feeling of emptiness. So if you're getting to that point where everything is just spacing out and it just feels like nothing's there. You don't even recognize the body anymore. You don't even, this is why your body has to be comfortable. And if you feel pain, you just change your position. Because if you get to a point in meditation where you're so deep in meditation and all you are experiencing is just the mind <clears throat> and you don't even notice the body that it's even still there, then that's a really good place to be because you've now essentially transcended the physical body and you're just focused on the mind and training the mind. So if, if that's what's happening in your meditation, then you're doing some really good things and keep doing that and keep asking questions, keep learning the teachings and keep progressing along the path because things sound like they're going pretty good for you so far. But also don't get attached to that. Whatever feelings or sensations that you're having, if that's pleasurable for you and you feel like you're doing a good job because now the mind is kind of transcending this physical body and you're feeling like it's kind of almost hovering in space and kind of zoning out, all of your meditations aren't going to feel like that. So oftentimes when you get to that place in meditation or multiple places like this, it can feel somewhat pleasurable. And then in a subsequent meditation session, you don't get into that same state and the mind can kind of crave to be back there. So whatever feeling you're feeling right now in meditation, this zoning out, it's not permanent. It's not always going to feel that way. So even if it's pleasurable for you, don't expect that it's always going to be this way. Okay. And Arnold also asks in relation to loving kindness meditation, is it true that Buddha or one of his disciples had an encounter with snakes and this is what proved the effectiveness of the loving kindness meditation. These type of things, I think it's not as important to discuss because a lot of these things are just stories. And while it could be true or it could be false, we don't really know. What's at the heart of your question there is proving the effectiveness of loving kindness meditation. And you can actually do that on your own. So rather than relying on a story, of somebody else saying loving kindness meditation is effective, even for me telling you, yes, this is something that you need. Don't believe me. Don't believe the story. Do it yourself and see the effectiveness yourself. The teachings that I, that I read from Gautama Buddha, there's quotes in there where he talks about do loving kindness meditation to eliminate ill will. He says it like directly as that, you know, use loving kindness meditation 
cultivate loving kindness meditation in order to eliminate ill will. He says it very explicitly. But don't even believe the Buddha. You know, let's forget about this story with the snakes. Don't even believe the Buddha because belief isn't going to help you. You take these teachings of loving kindness meditation that I share with you and you go do it and see it for yourself. That's the wisdom that you need to acquire to liberate the mind. You can't believe this story that you've learned somewhere along the line. You can't believe the teachings because this is just a book that somebody printed out. And I've got lots of books around here that somebody printed out and they say that this is what the Buddha said. And these sound very much like what the Buddha would say in all of these books. But I don't believe any of them. I practice every single thing and prove it to myself that absolutely this is true. So don't believe the books that the Buddha said loving kindness meditation will eliminate hatred or ill will or anger and all these things. Don't believe this story. Don't believe the Buddha. Don't believe me. You do the work and see it for yourself. Then you'll have wisdom and you'll know with 100% certainty loving kindness meditation will absolutely eliminate anger, hatred, frustration, irritation, annoyance, hostility, resentment. I know this to be true 100% and I can look you in the eyes and I can tell you that because I experienced it and did the work so I know it for myself. But because I know it isn't going to help you. You have to know it 100%. And that's how you liberate the mind with wisdom. By gaining the wisdom through your experience, through your own practice, you will gradually and slowly liberate the mind from this poison of hatred and anger. And then you'll have the wisdom to know how to do that and share it with other people as well. Well, thank you everybody for your questions. These have been really valuable questions and thank you for your practice. We have no more questions at this time, David. Thank you, Max. And I would like to just echo what Max just said. Thank you to Karen, to Max, to Arnold, to all the other people that submitted questions. This has been a very, very good session. I really appreciate you guys spending time to dedicate to learning and practicing the teachings of Gautama Buddha. It's absolutely the best thing that you could ever truly do for your mind, for the people around you, and for all of humanity. Because when you train your mind through Gautama Buddha's teachings, it's going to become more peaceful, more calm, more serene, more content with joy. And you're going to reap the benefits of that, as well as the people around you, as well as all of humanity. So keep learning and keep practicing. And until next time, have a wonderful day. Sawadikap. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.